BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Fox 2 presents Hancock and Kelly. We are glad you're with us on this Sunday morning for Hancock and Kelly here on Fox 2. I'm Mike Colombo and for John Brown this week, you know these guys, John Hancock and Michael Kelly. Good morning. morning. All right, fellas, let's start with the big story this week. That's former special counsel Robert Mueller telling Congress his investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election did not exonerate President Trump. Before our discussion, let's take a look at some of the highlights of Mueller's testimony with this report from Omar Jimenez. Nearly 100 days after the release of the report detailing Russia's attempts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election, a reluctant Robert Mueller testified before Congress. The finding indicates that uh, the president uh, was not, uh, that the president was not exculpated uh, for the acts that uh, he allegedly committed. Some Democrats seeing the testimony as a chance to build the case for impeachment. But Mueller says his investigation could not indict the president because of Justice Department guidelines. I believe a reasonable person looking at these facts uh, could conclude that all three elements of the crime of obstruction justice have been met. The reason, again, that you did not indict Donald Trump is because of OLC opinion stating that you cannot indict a sitting president, correct? Uh, that is correct. Hours later, the former special counsel amended his testimony. That is not the correct way to say it. We did not reach a determination as to whether the president committed a crime. The star witness refused to say if the president committed a crime and instead referred Congress to the findings of his 448-page report as Republicans pushed to close this chapter in American history. It's time for the curtain to close on the Russia hoax, the conspiracy theory, is dead. In Washington, I'm Omar Jimenez reporting. All right. So we'll just start it off on a very well, simple basis. Your initial reaction to all that? The, that final thought is disingenuous. The, the Russian uh, collusion into the election is not a hoax. In fact, Robert Mueller spent a lot of time talking about the fact that the Russians did that and are still doing it to this day. Yet the Republicans continue to stop it. So we had essentially two uh, hearings the other day. One that dealt wrote primarily with uh, pointing out that Russia is doing this and continuing to do it, and the other to talk about the president's obstruction. And Robert Mueller said if the man wasn't president of the United States, he'd have been indicted. I don't know what more we need to say. All of it was in the report. It was helpful that it came out through the Democratic interview. It was disgusting to watch the way the Republicans really attacked this true patriot who went out and did a job that, quite frankly, was really thankless, especially with the president of the United States attacking him regularly he, in the media he, and on Twitter. He backtracked on the saying he would indict the president. He backtracked on that. This was reminiscent, Colombo. Remember about 20 years ago, our good friend Geraldo Rivera. Remember this? <laughs> they were touting that he was going to open up Al Capone's tomb. Remember the, the whole Al Capone's vault, the secret <laughs> vault? And they hyped it for weeks and weeks. It was a primetime special. They opened up Al Capone's vault, and you know what was there? Nothing. 
There was nothing in the vault. And this was, buddy, you guys. But if there was nothing there, then, John, why were they lying? Why did six people go to jail for lying about the fact that Russia was doing it? The president was asking for Russians interference. And then a bunch of people went and lied about something that you're saying that they didn't do that was illegal. Is Russia a bad actor? Yes. Russia's a bad actor. Are all the people around the president who are going to jail bad actors? Well, they all went to jail for lying to the FBI because of this investigation. But what you all were hoping for yesterday was, the great drama uh, or whatever day it was and and you were hoping that there was going to be this wonderful outcome and it was a dud a floppo how can you say that because it's over it was a recounting of the fact that the president of the united states and the people around him obstructed justice 10 times that was pointed out the obstruction the obstruction of justice is as a legal matter is a very open question now robert Mueller drew some conclusions in his report but there was, understand, there was no underlying crime here. John, there was no underlying you crime and here. I did what the president had outlined to have done ten times, we wouldn't be sitting here. We'd be down in the clink. The only reason this man's not in jail for obstructing justice is because he's the president of the United States. That was clear in his testimony, and it's clear in the report. You and I would never have been investigated over this thing in the first place, and I think there's a legitimate question. Look, should we look into Russia meddling and hacking up our elections? Yes, that's a national security threat, absolutely legitimate to investigate it. But all of this Trump stuff was overblown from day one, and more importantly... People are done with it. Move then, on. Then why isn't Mitch McConnell moving the, electric sec- uh, the election security bill? Why is it that he's carrying the president's thing saying, no, Russia didn't involve, when the majority of the folks in your party, everybody in my party believes that Russia involved, but the president and Mitch McConnell won't move forward the legislation, a bipartisan piece of legislation, yeah, Russia's to involved. address it. Russia's why aren't involved. they doing it? Well, they've done a lot. They've, <laughs> they've already safeguarded the election systems in every state. They've got, they've got the whole computer interface with the voter files now is more secure than it's ever been and so you know I we're in a better place than we were four years ago was this the day that Democrats hope of impeaching President Trump died yeah yeah I mean they're not look they're, they're not gonna go there Pelosi has signaled that she has no interest in going that she wanted to run this clock to get to the August recess they're gonna be gone for a month and come back in September and then boom yep. it's the election year they're not going to impeach. I'm not right. sure there was ever a clock towards impeachment. If this was the Republicans in control, of course they'd have been impeached. Let's think about the last time that impeachment was used. It was uh, President Clinton over a really silly issue. We have ten times this man shown that he obstructed justice. We have him colluding. Some people say he's exonerated from it, but clearly encouraging Russia and foreign actors to participate in his election. I'm not sure that impeachment's off the table. I think the inquiry is going to continue to go, and we shall see how the American people receive this over the next couple of months. So when you take a look at the differing political parties here and everything that is involved, what a partisan issue it's become, I want to pitch this question to you gentlemen. Yes. Knowing the findings of this report, if it was Barack Obama being examined here instead of Donald Trump and the Republicans on the offensive instead of Democrats, would impeachment proceedings have already started by now? Well, I think the political equation is the same on both sides. Uh, you know, I, I think it would be a mistake uh, to start impeachment proceedings against Obama or, in this case, President Trump, because I think the politics of it. We learned 20 years ago that this is not good politics to go after a sitting president. And uh, we essentially, Republicans made Bill Clinton electable, reelectable. Uh, in a way that if had they left that thing alone, he may not have been. I think Nancy Pelosi is a voice of common sense who's doing the right thing, not only for our democracy, but for her party. 
the Republican Party lost its common sense. They lost that when they elected Donald Trump. Of course, they'd be moving forward with an impeachment, and they would suffer the political consequences that John aptly laid out. I mean, they have no control over reasonable thought in that party anymore. All right, very good. We'll pause our discussion there for right now. Still to come on Hancock and Kelly, a budget deal in D.C. this week, but what does it mean for the deficit? We'll be right back. To hear more, listen to the podcast. Just search for Hancock and Kelly. Another big story this week, Congress progressing toward a two-year budget and debt limit deal. Now, the hope is this deal would stop the looming threat of a potential default on U.S. debt and prevent automatic spending cuts to domestic and military funding. It is a significant bipartisan compromise. The deal would suspend the debt limit through 2021 and sets top-line levels for defense and non-defense spending for the next two fiscal years. For the first year, it's a $1.37 trillion budget. And Mr. Trump appears to be happy with it, tweeting, budget deal gives great victories to our military and vets. Now, a decade and a half ago, Dick Cheney, then George W. Bush's vice president, famously declared that former President Ronald Reagan proved deficits don't matter. Gentlemen, is that accurate? No. Uh, you can make a case, a very persuasive case, that the national debt in this country is the chief national security threat that we face. And when you look at the, the competition globally between the United States and China, which is our real competitor now in the world, China, which owns so much of our debt, uh, it's a national security problem. This, is, this spending is irresponsible. Both sides, both parties, it's irresponsible. We've turned our back. We, we had budget caps in place when the Republicans took control of Congress. Those are gone now. And the debt ceiling, delayed for over a year, that means, you're not gonna, that means there is no debt ceiling. It means you can spend until it's spend and spend and spend. This is an irresponsible fiscal budget. And it's another failed uh, delivery of a commitment of Donald Trump. Donald Trump, let's remember, when he came into the White House, he had both the Republican House of Representatives and Senate. They're the ones who took away these limits. Now, remember, when there was an African-American in the White House, we shut things down. We couldn't fund natural disasters when hurricanes happened and tornadoes happened because our deficit was such a problem. But now that it's Donald Trump, they're willing to stand by. But most importantly, let's remember, Donald Trump said, I'm going to stop the spending, and in fact, I'm going to pay off the debt. Now, we all knew he was lying about that because he lies about everything. But in fact, he's not only not curbing the debt, he's growing it exponentially. So how did we get here? Because a lot of these deficit hawks have appeared to turn a blind eye to this situation. Because Donald Trump is the president. I mean, it's as simple as that. This would be a drastically different conversation from the deficit hawks if Hillary Clinton was there. Yeah. If Barack Obama had obstructed justice 10 times, there would have been a drastically different conversation. They've lost the backbone and what they stand for in the Republican Party. We're close, but thankfully we still have some leadership that are holding our backbone There was together. a very serious effort a decade ago by Republican conservatives to begin to rein in spending. Part of that was reforming the entitlement programs. And there was very good thought, very academic work that had gone into it, a series of plans to reform that. When President Trump ran for office, he said Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid are off the table. When you take those three items off the table, then there is no controlling spending. And, and yes, the, the tax cuts in the short term have contributed to an increased deficit annually. That's going to eventually, economic growth is going to solve that problem over time. 
but we've got we've got a real problem and it's structural and if we don't address it and solve it this debt the the debt bomb is going to hit this country at some point and somebody and nobody's talking about it but, but it's real but it's just another failed commitment and one of those things that's also adding to the debt is a wall that Mexico was going to pay for that we the taxpayers are paying for on the credit card let's switch gears and talk about Missouri Senator Josh Hawley he took to Twitter this week and here's what he said here's the here's truth liberal elites can't stand hearing they are the ruling class. They are the rich. They are the powerful. They've failed this country. Working Americans tired of being despised and dismissed. And I don't care what names they call me, I won't back down. So a bit of an interesting take here from someone who is the son of a small town banker who went to all boys Catholic high school in Kansas City, Rockhurst then attended Stanford University before law school at Yale. All pretty elite institutions. Important to just lay that out as you take a look at those comments that were made. It's the most absurd thing ever. This man is a fake Eric Greitens clone. He says things that he does not believe. We're going to... Josh Hawley is going to sit and play truth detector on who's an elitist? You just ran through his pedigree right there. This is a man who's never lived a day in the life of a regular person out there. He's bought into this Trump populist stuff. What's scary about folks like Josh Hawley is they'll say whatever, but they believe in the protection of where they come from, and that ain't where we, that's not us. I think he is a man of the people. Thurston Howell III would have said he's a Yale man. <laughs> he's a man of the people. But he, here's the more interesting aspect to this. Uh, Post-Trump, the Republican Party is going to have to find itself. Is the Republican Party going to be a historically conservative party as we were pre-Trump? Or is the Republican Party going to be a populist, nationalistic country? Josh Hawley is one of the younger, more articulate, more well-spoken voices in that Trump uh, wing of the party. And he's somebody to keep a very uh, watchful eye on because he very well, it seems to me, like he's looking to pick up the mantle that Donald Trump has, has brought and carry it forward. It'll be interesting. And especially with some of the cabinet appointments that he has right now, it seems like he is driving in the right lane and I think there's also truth to what you said regarding uh, kind of taking some of the Trump stuff that a lot of conservatives get behind and kind of leaving some of the other stuff aside. I think you're probably on the right track. Oh, no, I think he's all in on the Trump stuff. I don't think there's any conservative principles in Josh Hawley's bones. I don't think he has a backbone. Uh, he doesn't stand for anything. He's all in for this populist Trump nonsense, which is not conservative policy. All right, very good. Still to come here on Hancock and Kelly, Democratic debates are ahead of us. We're going to take a look at the possible political future for former Missouri Governor Eric Reitens as well. Is there a chance this man could seek office in the state of Missouri again? Hancock and Kelly are going to talk about it when we return. Welcome back to Hancock and Kelly. Gentlemen, hockey season's over. Yeah. Basketball's <laughs> over. The major golf championships have been played. We're in the heat of baseball season, but not quite to the postseason yet. So as far as sport is concerned, we're left with the Democratic debates. Yeah. We've got a couple coming up this week, uh, but we still have way too many horses in the race, I think, to really get serious about this. What should we be paying attention to as we look forward to these? Well, a couple of things. This will be the last time you're going to see this whole 800 people running for president on stage. That's number one. Number two is you're going to see it's go 
or stay for Joe Biden. This is put up or shut up for Joe Biden. I think he will pull it out and he'll continue to put distance between him and the rest of the field. And then it's really paring down to who the other four or five that are going to be. There's only enough room for six of them to go. We're only five months away from the beginning of the voting that's going to happen in Iowa. And the money's going to dry up for about 90% of these candidates. Is the, is the kumbaya lady still in the debate? Yeah. What's her name? The, the you <laughs> know, Candidate Moonbeam? Yeah, yeah, she's still in. Uh, th- yeah, you're right about Biden. This is, this is make or break. Bernie's done. I think Bernie Sanders done. And I think you're looking at Harris, Warren, and maybe Buttigieg. One of the three of them, uh, and I, I'd put Cory Booker into that mix too. One of the four of them needs to come out of this thing relatively soon as the alternative to Joe Biden. Because whoever's the alternative to Joe Biden, I predict, is going to be the Democrat nominee. So let's play a quick game of looking into the crystal ball. If you had to pick three who will be left when the dust settles, who is it? Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, and Joe Biden. John? Uh, Harris, Warren, and Buttigieg. Okay, very good. We'll pause it there for now and get into a topic uh, that will certainly be piquing people's interests, I think, and that is the potential political future of former (laughs) Missouri Governor Eric Greitens. Now, for those of us out there who this may be a head-scratcher, explain why we're even discussing this this morning. Well, there's a lot of rumors in the political world out there, the waters where Michael and I swim, that uh, that Eric Greitens is strongly contemplating making a, a run for governor in 2020. And how many... Friday the 13th movies did they make? I mean, they, they made a bunch of those. Freddy Krueger keeps coming back. Uh, so it wouldn't shock me if, if uh, Eric Greitens threw his hat in the ring. I don't think it makes a lot of sense for Eric Greitens, but, you know, who knows? I yeah. con- contemplated playing professional golf last week, but it's not going to happen. Is, is there any chance that this could happen? Oh, there's a real chance. First of all, this man's funded by a couple of billionaires. He has an ego the size of President uh, Trump. He's going to be potentially in this race. Now, I think he's going to meet the sad defeat in a Republican primary to Mike Parson. Uh, but it will be spirited because he has money and there's this extremist element in the Republican Party who likes disruptors. And boy, has there been a more disruptive political figure in this state than Eric Greitens. And I should disclose, I'm the chairman of Mike Parson's uh, re-election pack. So uh, I've got a dog in this fight. But, uh, you know, as it relates to Greitens, Uh, I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that he gets in. I don't expect it. A very fair assessment. And I guess that would lead me to ask, knowing what you know about the party and knowing what Michael said about that sect of the party that uh, would possibly like to see Mr. Greitens back in office, is it strong enough to gain momentum with everything that's taken place? Because at the end of the day, it's about voter opinion. Right. I don't think so. Uh, but, you know, it, once, the, once you start running and rolling and talking and, you know, things happen. All right. Very good. When we come back on Hancock and Kelly, we will share our final thoughts for the week. Stick with us. We'll be right back. All right, before the true final thoughts, a final thought from each of you on the Mueller testimony this week and where it goes from there. I, I, think, I think it's done. I, I really, now, the Democrats may keep trying to subpoena people, but, I mean, this th- issue has played out, and the public, most important, has moved on. I think it's going to continue the investigations. I think we are headed towards an impeachment. While I think Nancy Pelosi's been able to hold it off, the Democratic base is, uh, is salivating for this, and I don't think there's going to be any way she can stop it. And then a larger final thought. Well, my final thought, Colombo, has to do with our good friend, Bernie Sanders. You know, they said he wasn't paying his people $15 an hour. So he paid him $15 an hour because 
because Colombo, the revolution. We got to have the revolution, and everybody's got to make $15 an hour for the revolution. And then he cut their hours back <laughs> because economics eventually affects us all. He'll be doing impressions at the funny bone. The revolution. Oh, he's good at impressions. My final thought is related to Eric Greitens. I, Governor, I know you're probably watching us in the basement. Please, please run for governor again. Missouri needs you. The Republican Party needs this dysfunction to happen because guess what? There's a qualified candidate, Nicole Galloway, who will be the next governor, and you can make it happen. All right, you've heard it all. Thank you for watching Hancock and Kelly on this Sunday morning. If you missed any part of the show, remember you can download it by clicking on the podcast symbol on your smartphone. Just search the words Hancock and Kelly. Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace is up next. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next here. See you next week right here on Fox 2 for Hancock and Kelly. The revolution. <laughs> revolution. <laughs> He's good, then. <laughs>